Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM, kink, and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we have the second part of our interview with Ray Spannon. If you didn't hear that episode, do go back and give it a listen. Race is an author, activist, kink educator, just a real force in a positive kink movement. He's a really great individual. I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit through these interviews, and I'm hoping to have more interviews with him in the future. If you have any questions or comments on this episode or any episode you see, drop me a line. Go to wickedfellow.com. That's our website. You can find our Patreon page there. Our websites are there. The adult sites, of course, but also that's where the podcast is hosted, and there are also links to our social media there. As always, I want to send a very special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You guys really help make this podcast run. And I wanted to send a special shout out to one of my Patreons, who I had a call with this week, and she was telling me about an amazingly fun and exciting new adventure she's going on in a kink dating situation. And it sounds great, and I cannot wait to hear more updates on that. It is nice to hear positive stories. You know, a lot of times people come to me with problems they're having in kink, which I do welcome and I try to help out any way I can. It's less frequent that people tell me about the success stories they're having, and those are nice to hear too. If you have a great story about a good relationship you're having in a kink or poly aspect, send that along to me and I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Or just say, you know, hey, good job, great, keep it going. That encouragement is always welcome. So good luck to her and her partner. I wish the best for you guys, and thank you so much for being a Patreon. In the second part of the interview with Race, we talk about something that's a bit more unique to the gay male kink scene than the straight kink scene, which is the easy switching between roles of dominant and submission that isn't quite as common on the straight side of kink play. We certainly have switches on the straight side, but in the gay kink scene, as Race will talk about, it's a much more fluid dynamic, and I was very interested to talk to him about that and his experience in that. So, here's the second part of the Ray Spannon interview, and I'll be back at the end to offer a few more thoughts that I had, having had time to reflect on this episode a bit. The other fascinating thing when we were listening to the On Guard episode, and I've noticed this in more than one episode, was the progression, it seems like, in the, the gay male scene of kind of moving from being a younger man as a submissive to an older man as a dominant. And when we talked about that, I said, you know, I don't know anybody and I've never seen that really happen in the straight kink scene. Like that just doesn't really happen. And I wanted to get your opinion as, you know, one guy on this. Was that something you experienced? Is that something you've seen? Is that as prevalent a journey as I, it as appears to me listening to you guys on On Guard? First of all, thank you for watching on Guard Cigar Salon. I appreciate that. Um, OnGuardSalon.com for anybody who wants to tune in. <laughs> Great show. In. I think gay men are far more comfortable with being switches generally. I remember I went to my first big um, a gay men's BDSM play event, one of the considered one of the best in the world. My first one was mid 80s. I was taken to it and I was very much in top dom mode. You know, that's how I was then. I'm very much a switch now. But I said, oh, everyone's going to be tops, bottoms, doms, subs, not, you know, whatever. And he goes, oh, no, no, I'd say 50% of the crowd are switches. And sure enough, it, uh, at least 50% of the guys were playing on both sides of the equation. 
for the entire week. It was a week-long play, play event. I think that we've never been too wrapped up in the Dom stuff. I did. I actually consider it a fault. I got very wrapped up in my top and Dom stuff once upon a time. I don't think I was an asshole, but I really kind of bought into my own Domness for a long time. And I kind of got over that and am now very much a switch. But And I think that people can live in Dom mode, live in sub mode, but I think that the vast majority of people are versatile to at least some extent. And gay men seem to be very, very comfortable with that generally. You just don't see any exclusion if people are switches at any event, in any club, in any group. It's it's the norm. Some guys are just top or dom. Some are just bottom or sub. But so many are switches. Since you named Mr. Christopher, who happens to be one of my best friends and somebody I adore like crazy, part of why I love him so much is the fact that he is one of the preeminent leathermen in the world in terms of people knowing who he is. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic player and he's extremely open about being a switch. And I love that about him. I think that more and more gay men are making that kind of <laughs> that switch. Um, but regardless, gay men tend to be a lot more comfortable. Now, I have been in enough heterosexual environments that I know that that is not the case in the heterosexual world, where there is a lot of once you're sub, you're sub. How dare you try to dom? Or once you're dom, what do you mean you want to sub? Doms don't ever sub. I think that's all bullshit. That's all just this weird. I actually believe it It has roots in misogyny, but I don't want to. <laughs> you know, I really think it does have some roots in misogyny about that thing. But it even it even pertains to women who are dom who want, then want to sub. They they get trapped in it too. So I have seen that in the heterosexual world, a lot more resistance to switching or moving around the dom sub spectrum. I think you're right about the misogyny, but I almost think it's more about hypermasculinity than about misogyny because straight men are not very likely to switch. Women are definitely more likely to switch, but I've got some insight through friends into like the female pro-dom, femdom world. And I'll tell you in private spaces without any of the male subs around, <laughs> the, the women are a lot more likely to switch with each other. But there is that image that they're, they don't want the male subs to see it or really know about it, right? Like they're kind of trying to protect that fantasy. My experience syncs with that in terms of when they're in private, they're much more likely to switch. It's something about being seen in public at a play party at an event, whatever, maybe it is more about masculinity versus misogyny. Uh, maybe it's a mixture of the two. Or at least like protecting the straight men. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's possible. I happen to know an awful lot of cool straight dudes. So I, I don't encounter that a lot in my own life, but I've been to play parties where I've witnessed some of the players and it's like, whoa, you are really wrapped up in your dom straightedness. <laughs> and it's not particularly pretty. Yeah, I really like the way you put it a couple minutes ago when you said like that you bought into your own dominance too much. I like that phrase. I'm definitely- Well, I did. <laughs> I, I used to use the descriptor that I had a very me, Tarzan, you, Jane complex. I'm not so sure that's an appropriate way to say it these days, but I did. I, I was this young, highly skilled, fairly attractive, good body. I've seen the recent photo you posted. on. You were on the cover of a, a leather magazine looking- I, I look pretty good, you know? And, so, and when you were a young, fairly good looking, highly skilled BDSM player, which I was, the, the world is your oyster. And if you buy into the fact that the world is your oyster, <laughs> it can it can fuck up your personality a little bit to the point where you do 
think, you know, your shit doesn't smell. And I just, I don't think that's attractive on anybody. All the doms that I sort of admire, respect, get along with are pretty easygoing. They can go into high dom mode, but they're really decent human beings. And actually, it's the same for subs. So I just think that having come from the dom side and sort of moved into the switch side, I have a perspective on being dom. I don't sub very often. Um, I do, but I don't sub that often. I do think that there is this dom complex and I cop to it. I changed because I didn't particularly like what I saw in myself back then. I think, and I've always seen the the dom sub spectrum as the classic bell graph where most people tend to be towards the middle. They don't have those really strong extremes of I'm entirely dominant, I'm entirely submissive. Most people do exist in the middle of that bell graph. And so they could be pushed either direction, either through personal affinity or the pressure placed upon them. And so I think for me, for example, I get it from kind of both sides. I don't have a personal affinity towards submission. And then also there's a very strong pressure from the sub side. For example, when I've talked about switches on the podcast before, some people have responded that, you know, I could never submit to a switch. I can only submit to a pure dom. And I wonder if that's a personal insecurity on their part, or they feel like if their dom is switchy, is that person really a dom, et cetera? And, you know, Kasha gives me an endless amount of grief, deservedly, that at one point I said, there's no such thing as a true switch. Oh, he was very... All switches are subs. <laughs> which is by its face true. I guess I didn't express well, like, myself Well, it's true well. insofar as all yeah, switches so are exactly. also doms. By being a switch, all switches are subs, all switches are dom. It seemed that the switches that I've had in my life personally that I've, I've known and that I've been dominant over, they were perfectly happy being subservient and they were perfectly happy being dominant. And that's what I didn't express very well is that they absolutely had that dominant tendency. The people that tended to submit to them as switches tended to be hyper submissive. They tended to be kind of pushed far out to that extreme. And but again, this is from my side of things. And I, I'm, I know I'm not seeing the full gamut where it seems in other play spaces, it's much more relaxed, it's much more fluid, it's much more today I'm feeling dominant, you know, but right now I wanna be told what to do. And that's never been my experience with my subs. It's always been, this is our role, this will always be our role. And if you were to desire a different role, you need to desire a different relationship. But I also know that I'm hyper dominant. I'm way to that far extreme and I can imagine it, I can think about it, I can do mind games and pretend about it. But there's no excitement there. And there's that's no exactly joy. the same for me because I, I've done a small amount of topping with no power exchange, just, you know, it's about the physical activity or it's about actually giving pleasure to the person who is, you know. So, I mean, I can't understand that. But it's just from my experience of people I know, I 100% believe. <laughs> I have punished subs by making them do dominant things to me because they were so uncomfortable and it made them so unhappy. <laughs> that I've made them do that as a punishment. Very effective. <laughs> so that can give you an idea of the, the, the range there. Trust me. If you went to a gay man and said, you're a sub, do, do stuff to me as punishment, that wouldn't be punishment. <laughs> <laughs> so in the gay men's world, there is some... By the way, you mentioned the bell curve. There was a, a survey, and I believe it was done by Charles Moser many, many years ago. 
um, one of the biggest sex medicine, sexuality researchers. And I remember the study correctly. I think it was him. He presented it at Society of Janus slash Threshold. I forget what it was called back then in Los Angeles. I was one of a few gay men who were a member of this predominantly heterosexual group. He presented it in front of a monthly session that he had surveyed all these kinky people, heterosexual almost exclusively, because that was the, the group he was going for. And he privately, without attaching names to the data, he said, where do you see yourself mentally? And sure enough, it was a bell curve. Interesting. Very few saw themselves as exclusively dumb. Very few saw themselves exclusively sub. And the vast majority were somewhere on the curve. And he plotted, he showed, he showed the curve. Sure enough, bell curve. For three years, about three years apart, so over a nine-year period, I did a stupid exercise, which isn't so stupid, but I went on to Recon, the main hookup site for gay men that are kinky. And there you, it's easy for data because I don't particularly like how they say it. You can say 100% active, 90% active, 80 They can use active and passive. I don't like the verbiage. Oh, I got you. It is what it is. So, but that you can do it in 10% increments. So it's a really easy thing. It's not just top, bottom, versatile. It's like, so sure enough, I went through everybody in San Francisco. It was like 1,200 members, I forget. And I plotted all the data. <laughs> and what did I get? Pretty close to a bell curve. It was actually slightly higher at both ends. Then it dipped and then dramatically went up in the middle. And what was fascinating, and here's what I wanted to, my, my instinct was anecdotally that gay men were getting even more versatile. And, and so what happened was I did notice that the midpoint, the 50-50 mark, kept rising every single time over nine-year period. So That's when I plot those three lines, the later, the later data did have more people at the principal. That's something I wanted to ask you about was, do you feel like things have changed in that it's less stagnant? It's, it's much more fluid as to your top and bottomness in, in both an age category, as in older men are seen to be more dominant, younger men are seen to be more submissive. Has that shifted more recently or was that more regimented in the past? I think it was less regimented way in the past. Then it got more regimented, and now it's abating and a bit less so. By that, I mean, in that era that they call old guard, there was never such a thing as really old guard. That's a whole, that's a whole other discussion. That What people call that, they want to believe that there was demarcation, very strict, dom, top, bottom, sub, et cetera. Not true. The vast majority back then were versatile. And if there were exclusives, they were just very comfortable with switches. There was no, there wasn't a lot of ego around that either way. Then for some reason, it kind of got more regimented. And you started hearing all this talk of, oh, it's, this is the way it was in the old guard era. So this is the way that we need to do it now. And I saw a lot more regimentation. Now I am seeing a return back to more flexibility, more fluid around you know, roles and positions and activities, a huge diversification in things. Certainly in the gay men scene, you're seeing a massive diversification where you have entire events devoted to a subset of the Leather King community. Pups being a perfect example. You know, mm -hmm. I remember seeing somebody playing as a dog at a play event in the 80s and thinking, wow, that's, ex I've never seen that. That's extreme. Just, they were just playing as, you know, handler and dog. And now look at it in the gay men scene, yes. the pup scene is huge. They have entire events devoted just to that. Furries have entire events. Rubber people have entire events. I mean, I could go through the list and the fisting guys have entire events that are just fisting, the BDSM guys. So I'm seeing a lot more diversification and a lot more 
fluidness around roles and positions than I had. And I think that that's going to continue. The young guys I interact with, 20s and 30s, very few of them are wrapped up in their top-down stuff. Very few. I think one one reason that's kind of interesting to me is because, like, even if it's true that in the population in general there's a bell curve in terms of you know, submission and dominance. It wouldn't have to necessarily be that way in our community, right? Because I could imagine that like, well, maybe if you were more toward the middle, you wouldn't fetishize power exchange because it would, you know what I mean? And it would be the people on the extremes who would actually be interested in BDSM because it was something more integral. But it sounds like that's not the case at all. Well, in the straight king scene, I can say that subs tend to outnumber doms, like 10 to one. That tends to be the, the ratio. So you're not gonna get a true bell curve in that. Yeah. I don't know if that's just how people are wired or the attraction to the scene itself, but it does seem like there's an overwhelming abundance of subs to doms in that ratio. In the gay scene, obviously I can't speak to that. To have more fluidity would obviously make that a lot easier. To accept more fluidity in the straight king scene, which I don't know if we can, we can push against that boulder with a feather all we want. I don't know if we can move that, but perhaps making it more acceptable to say, look, you know, kink is a spectrum play is a spectrum and to if you want to experience all that bdsm has to offer you know open yourself up to the idea of maybe playing as a sub maybe playing as a dom you don't have to be locked rigidly into these roles but i think you have a lot of insecurity especially from the dom side straight male dom asking them to do something submissive is anathema you know it, it will just not go over well but somehow allowing that permission perhaps i don't know if that can happen in the current scene that i'm aware of but I have a theory, just a theory, could be bullshit, but it's my theory that part of what has happened in our scene is due to what I'm going to call the overeducation of our scene. And by that, I mean, we are awash in classes and we are awash in technique. And we are awash in really sort of extreme examples of that technique. Let's, you know, rope suspension, perfect example. Yeah. It's got its whole subculture now. So if you're entering the scene and you think everyone expects me to be able to do that, you may be less likely to enter as a dominant top, even if that's not what you're thinking, because there is this expectation. Back in the day when I came out, we didn't have all that. Our BDSM was relatively simple. Um, I remember when I... The very first braided handle flogger that I touched, which came from Jay Marston, who I believe developed the technique, um, Gail Rubin's partner, it was revolutionary. It was like, wow, this is I, all I had was rubber nailed to a stick before. <laughs> so, and if we could do a very basic rope harness on somebody, that was considered really great rope technique. Yeah. And I could I could go on, but our techniques were simpler and a little bit more about the people interacting than the technique. And I think that if our education has done any disservice, I think it's done a service to us, but it's also done somewhat of a disservice is that it sets up the expectation that kinksters are supposed to know how to do all this. Sure. And I think that that most of them don't want to know how to do all that. They don't want to suspend anybody by rope, but they feel like, well, it's everywhere and it's what's worshipped. And those people are kind of idolized because they can do it. And so we begin to worship technique more than the people. I think that that could be part of why you sometimes see people being reticent to enter the scene on the top dom side of the, the equation, because it's expected they're supposed to know all this stuff. Um, that's a theory. Could be not right. But I wish I had known about your book You know, in the night. I'm reading it now, I'm like, I had to learn this stuff the hard way by making a lot of mistakes and making a lot of you know, relationship ending type mistakes where it's all there. And talking about, you know, first of all, having fun. I think people forget that the reason we do this 
is not just out of necessity or a drive, but it's because it's fun. It's fun to do, no matter how transgressive that becomes. I certainly embrace the huge amount of resources we have now because I didn't even know where to look when I first got into the scene and how to kind of feel my way. But yeah, I certainly see that as you look at people's shibari and it's so incredibly intricate and I could never remember to do that. And I practice shibari and I've done it for 10 years and I can't approach some of the technique I see. Education on the consent and, and understanding how kink works and how it should work, that's great. And yeah, I, I can definitely see how it can be intimidating to be like, I don't even know if I want to enter into this because I can't practice at this level. I did an experiment many years ago. I was given a raw kind of warehouse space by a friend who said, it's empty, not rented. It's mine. You want to use it for something like a party? And I went, yeah. So it was a gay men's party. But what I intentionally did, and it was intentional, I called it raw, R-A-W, which meant something different back then because <laughs> um, all our sex was raw then. So but I said, there will be no gear, no equipment. It's a raw warehouse space. And I would prefer you not bring trunks of stuff in, just bring a small bag. And I prefer you not overly advertise your role. It's going to come out in the wash. But And I think I had 100 plus guys at this party. Two to one, they all said, this is one of the best play parties I've ever been to. There was no intimidation because some newcomer walked up to a cross and says, what the fuck do I do with this? And there was no intimidation because of the, a lot of the role expectations were brought down. And because I didn't have them bring in trunks of gear intentionally, there was no intimidation of, oh, he's got all this equipment. He must know what he's doing and this and that. Everybody just played against the wall, on the floor. <laughs> it was amazing. So I think sometimes the way we set up our environments the way we foster elevated technique, et cetera, can be beneficial, but it also has a detrimental effect, especially with newcomers that become intimidated by it. So I, I think there's something to be said for keeping it simple when you can. It's also why I have a friend here, I'll say his name because I don't think he cares, Joe Gallagher. Um, he and I used to do play parties here in San Francisco. And um, he's got one of the best barbershops in San Francisco, Joe's Barbershop, if you ever done. Anyway. <laughs> um, and he and I would do these play parties. We said... We intentionally mixed what, what we call pig sex guys with BDSM guys. So we said, if somebody over here having a, a raunchy four-way sex thing, fucking and sucking, whatever over here bothers you, or somebody having the crap beating over here on a cross bothers you, you can't come to our party because it's all going to be mixed together. And we found that people really, really loved that there was no expectation they're going to do any one thing at these parties. So we had some of the best BDSM scenes you could possibly imagine. And some guys just came in and had lots of crazy sex. I think we can sometimes intentionally set up environments that are more conducive to bringing more people in. And some dungeon environments are very intimidating, especially for newcomers or for people that aren't necessarily into the heavier sides of what we do. I can definitely see that. I could easily, easily go on like this for hours. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for talking with us. I've got so many more questions. Something that I realized a popular misconception is that gay does not equal kinky, <laughs> that there's there's kind of two worlds there. I think that for a lot of middle America, by definition, gay equals kink. Hmm. And I know a lot of gay people that have no affiliation with kink whatsoever. You know, kink is as foreign to them as the gay lifestyle is for your, you know, straight hetero guy. I just want to put it out there in this podcast that when we're talking about the gay scene, that is different than the gay kink scene, which is different than the kink scene. These things are not all commingled into one thing. I'll say one thing about that, and that is that 
I do think the gay, the queer scene, I'm going to call it queer. That is becoming a word we're just starting to default to because it's a bigger bucket into which we can place people that sure. don't necessarily identify strictly one way or the other. So I'm, I'm tending to use it more, but queer people tend to be much more out about being kinky and much more comfortable being public about being kinky. And so I think there can be a perception that a lot of LGBTQ queer people that there is kind of an equip, you know, that, that they're all kinky. And that's not true. They, a lot of us just happen to be very comfortable being openly kinky. And I think that part of that has to do with us having come out once upon a time. I've, I've gone this far, you know, <laughs> why not? I've heard it many times referred to, especially if you strongly identify with leather and kink um, as a second coming out. And so we've had practice. We had practice with something really hard, which is coming out gay or lesbian or whatever. So for us to, to be public about being kink. So anyway, I just put that out there that I think they're because many people see gay, lesbian, queer people out publicly in leather that they equate the two. But you're absolutely right. There's I, one of my best friends. I won't say his name, but very well-known person in, in, in the LGBTQ community. And we're close, close, best friends. And he isn't even this much kinky. <laughs> I mean, he his toes curl when I talk about some of the stuff that I do. So yeah, there's absolutely no no correlation necessarily between gay and kink. Thank you so much, Race. This has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. I loved it. And feel free to have me talk with you anytime. I would love to. I expect to go, we'll get a lot of feedback from this. And of course, we'll share that with you and maybe do another one. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have Take a good care. day. Okay. That was our second part of our interview with Race Bannon. On listening to this, I'm realizing that being an interviewer is a very different skill set than being a podcaster. And as I learned how to podcast on the fly, I'm kind of learning the art of interviewing on the fly. And while I really enjoyed our conversation with Race, I realized that I didn't do a great job of following up on points that I had wanted to make or expressing my thoughts on the idea because I really did just get wrapped up in that conversation. I'm looking forward to more interviews with him and more conversations. But a couple of things that I wanted to address was he had stated that part of the reason there may not be as much switching on the straight side of things is kind of a misogynistic bent. And Katja, you know, put in that she felt like it was more of a hypermasculinity thing. And what I wish I had said at the moment was those two are very closely tied, I think. I think that the misogyny comes from that hypermasculinity. And I do think that some people are afraid of switching or don't like the notion of switching because there's some level of insecurity, that insecurity coming from being seen as weak or effeminate, which is part of a hypermasculine and toxic masculine trait. Now, don't get me wrong not everybody is going to be switchy. A lot of people are very comfortable in their dominance or they're very comfortable in their submission and there's no desire to switch. They're not being held back from switching. They don't want to switch and that's perfectly fine. But I think there are people who do have both dominant and submissive tendencies who do feel a pressure to not switch because of the opinions of the people around them or their own insecurities or the thought that well, I present as dominant most of the time, and if I was to switch, then I would lose that cachet as a dominant. Then people wouldn't see me as dominant anymore. Or vice versa, 
if a submissive person also has dominant tendencies, they might feel like if they tried topping that they wouldn't be seen as credible as a top because they had also subbed, etc. I think there's some built-in baggage here that I would like to explore in a different episode. I do think that there are aspects of misogyny in that, that for a you know big, hyper-tough dom, doesn't want to be seen as weak or effeminate by submission. And it would be nice if we could divorce those two things. There's nothing necessarily effeminate about being submissive. There's nothing weak about being a submissive. And so if a dominant person also has submissive tendencies, it would be nice if they could explore those and express those feelings and those desires without any fear of reprisal or losing face as a dom, etc. And also for the subside, I would like it if we were more fluid in that and if we were more welcoming to people that like to play on both sides of the kink dom spectrum. There's nothing wrong with that. And I would like to help remove that stigma. This is something that I've been guilty of. As I said in the podcast, I certainly had an attitude once that people really couldn't switch, that all switches were inherently submissive. And that was wrong-headed of me. That was a bad viewpoint I had. I didn't understand how someone could be dominant and submissive. Those two things seemed very far apart from my personal viewpoint as kind of a hyper-dom person. But I've learned and I've grown since then and I've met people who are switchy and understanding how both of those ideas can exist very comfortably in the same person and based on how they're feeling or based on where they're at in their life and relationship, they may be in a dominant role or they may be in a submissive role and they're perfectly comfortable in either of those. And for them, not being able to express one side of that would be a huge loss if they were only forced into a submissive role or only forced into a dominant role they would be lacking and they would not be able to experience the full gamut of their own sexuality and expression so as i've learned i hope to help other people learn there's nothing wrong with being a switch understand that not everybody is like you and if you look at the world through your own lens like i did for a long time you're missing out on a lot of the picture so be open to new ideas. Be very careful about making judgments about somebody, whether they are dom or a sub, because they choose to play on both sides. It's a perfectly acceptable expression of human sexuality to not be all one thing or the other. So that's something that I wanted to express during the interview. I'm glad I get a chance to tell it to you guys now. I will continue to learn and grow as I continue in this lifestyle. There's a lot that I have to learn. Even though I've been doing it for you know almost 30 years, I have a lot I can learn. And I hope to pass on some of those lessons to you guys as well. Thank you for tuning in. Look forward to next week's episode. Remember that you can find us on wickedfellow.com for all of our media links and socials, etc. Check out Race Bannon at Bannon Race on Instagram. I will put links to his information below in the description. And check out On Guard Cigar Salon. I think that's a very interesting show. As stated, it's a show that was kind of built for gay men. However, if you're kinky or you're just interested in learning about other people's experience that may not be your experience, I love it. It's a show that I look forward to every episode. I learn a lot. The guys are great and they're very funny. And there's a lot of good information, history, and an insight onto the current gay king culture. As always, consent is king.
take very good care of each other, and I'll see you next week.